0: Hello, welcome to the Respero podcast. I'm Joe Bishop. I'm here in Santa Cruz, California, where it's a very rainy day, which is great. It feels like it's been six weeks since it's rained at all, and that's not good in the middle of winter. You may hear the rain pounding on my window um, here in my incredibly sophisticated recording studio in my Spare bedroom converted to an office. My recording studio consists of my microphone, which is a good mic, and free software on my laptop. So the mic may pick up the rain, uh, but hopefully it will be soothing rather than annoying. I had a friend uh, ask me the other day about Respero, What What's the purpose of Resparo? And I was telling him that, well, Respero, uh provides counseling for people at no cost who are struggling with something, a problem, a challenge um, with relationships, with their life, with their um, spiritual life, and we also train people to be relational mentors and guides, to do counseling uh, with people who are hurting, and he said, well, that's what you do, but what's your purpose? And it was a good distinction, it was a good question. Respero's purpose is to help people find the life they were created for, to to live a life of genuine human flourishing. Jesus talked about this, and we do believe that Jesus is the source of that life, and that following in the way of life that Jesus called us to is. pathway to this life of true human wholeness and flourishing and he used words like rest and abundance and uh, just lives that are marked by love and faith as ways to describe this life but it is a life that he calls us to and he makes possible for us to experience And that's why Rispero exists, really, to help people find that life, to help people experience what it's like to really know, really know the love of God and the security that comes from that. And then to be able to love well, to be great lovers in their relationships. And so that's why we exist, to help people find that life. And... Counseling is a great door into those kind of conversations because the vast majority of people don't change and don't even think about changing until something in their life gets really painful. We don't change until it gets painful enough to force us to really consider change. And even then, um, most people do not genuinely uh, experience the kind of transformation that leads to life. But counseling is a way to help because when people are hurting, when there's something in their life that is not at peace, that is not whole, when they're experiencing heartache or disappointment, that's a great time to be able to have conversations with them and talk about what's going on in their life. So that's what we do. That's that's our purpose. And with this podcast. So what we're doing is we're talking about the issues that get in the way of human flourishing, the common things that that we struggle with, and how the stories of the Bible and the stories of Jesus speak into those issues and help us find life. And we've been, the last few podcasts, we've been looking at some stories in the Hebrew Bible about Moses, and I want to continue doing that for another podcast or two Um, and the last one we were talking about moses struggling to believe in his true identity and in the promises of god that god would be with him and that he he was enough he was he had what it takes to do what god was calling him to do which was a big big deal to be the leader of the nation of israel as they were enslaved in Egypt to uh, convince the ruler of Egypt, the Pharaoh, to let them go, to free them. And uh, I'm going to skip over um, uh, just a few minor things in the story, like Moses going to Pharaoh, and the 10 plagues, and the first Passover, and the actual miraculous freeing of Israel from its slavery through the crossing of the Red Sea. I'm going to skip over those, you know, just minor detail stories and get to what I want to talk about today, which is a story that happened, and we find it in the, the book of Exodus in chapter 18, um, a few months after Israel has left Egypt and they've crossed the Red Sea. And what Moses is experiencing as their leader is actually that it's much more difficult and frustrating to lead these people as they're going through the wilderness, the desert, on their way to their promised home in the land of what present-day Israel. Then it was called Palestine or Canaan, actually, in, in those days, and that To lead them was more difficult than it had been to free them from Egypt. And so he's had to deal with their um, complaining and griping about there isn't enough water, there isn't enough food, we were better off back in Egypt, why can't you make everything okay, Moses? Are we there yet? Can we get there faster? When are we going to be there? (laughs) All those kind of things that he's dealing, he's really having to deal with, with the people of Israel. And so, when we come to um, this story in Exodus 18, it's just a story about how Moses was going about his leadership role that was creating uh, a life for him that was way too busy, way too overworked, taking on way too much responsibility and leading to exhaustion and it wasn't sustainable, and it is such a relevant story because that is so much our reality for so many people today. Lives characterized by too much busyness, not enough margin, not enough rest. So I want to use this story as a springboard to talk about what a different way of life might look like. So we come to Exodus 18, and Moses and the people of Israel are in the Sinai Peninsula on their way from Egypt to Israel to the land of Canaan. And it says that Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, was going to visit the Israelite camp. And he was going to bring Moses' wife and children, and and they were going to see them. Uh, They'd probably been separated for a few months. And so uh, Moses goes out to meet his father-in-law and greets him, and they had a good relationship, and Moses is telling Jethro, his father-in-law, about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how Yahweh, the Lord, had saved them. And it says that Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that Yahweh had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he gives praise to to the Lord and says, this is wonderful. Now I know that Yahweh, your God of Israel, is greater than all the gods of Egypt, which by the way, is exactly the way it was supposed to work. In other words, how God rescued, delivered his chosen people of Israel was meant to be a sign to the whole rest of the world that he was the one true God. And the way Israel lived and following him and his ways was meant to show this is what it's like when people follow the one true God so that the rest of the world would have an example and something to look at. So that's going reasonably well. But now the story says um, that the next day, the day after Jethro had come, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, "'What are you doing?' What, what, "'What is this, Moses?' Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people come to you all day from morning till night? And Mo- Moses says to him, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, and by the way, parentheses, that would have been pretty often. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people. So they're in an uncomfortable journey uh that they're not used to, and they're not used to traveling. It's all new to them. So, do you think they had a few disputes? Uh, I imagine that there were uh, quite a few. And Moses says to Jethro, "So, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws." And, and Jethro says to Moses, "Whoa! What you are doing is not good." You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And he basically says, and it takes an outsider to come in and make this observation and and say to Moses, What in the world are you doing? Don't you see that this is going to wear you out? This isn't sustainable, Moses. You can't do this by yourself. And then Jethro offers Moses some advice. And and so he says, listen to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. In other words, pray for them. Be their advocate with God. and, And you have to also be a good teacher. You have to teach them what it is that God's way of life is all about. But what you need to do, Moses, is, is pick, select other good, wise people who fear God, trustworthy people, who hate dishonest gain. You know, judges can always be bribed, but he's saying, so pick the kind of people who are honest. And then appoint them. And have them deal with smaller increments of people. And it's like, you know, the court system. You have county courts and regional courts and district courts and then the Supreme Court, same principle. And he's just saying um, look, there might be some really difficult cases that they need to bring to you, but the vast majority of them, the simple ones, These other judges, these other good people can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain. And it says Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. And so he made these adjustments. Uh, But it interests me that Moses, even Moses... Uh, a man who was obviously uh, very smart, very capable. We're told that as a young man he had received the highest levels of education available back then, that he was smart, that he was powerful in speech and action, and he he had just recently experienced seeing God at work in and through him in ways that were beyond remarkable. And yet, Still, still on on this basic leadership, daily life kind of issue, he can't see that the way he's living and how he's going about things is is not sustainable and it's not leading to a good life for him or for other people. That Even Moses got caught up in being way too overworked, way too busy, and so the question becomes, why, how could that happen? Why did that happen for Moses? Why does that happen for so many of us? Why is that such a common way of life uh, in in our day and time, especially in America? Um, And I think that the reasons tend to be, for most of us, that... uh, we misunderstand our own responsibilities, our own roles, our own um, what it is that's going to bring life. Now, for many people, I don't know if this is true for Moses. Probably not. But our ego is involved, and we like having a lot of responsibility. And we, you know, we tend to do more of the things from which we receive affirmation, from which we receive. Um, you know, strokes, because that's what makes us feel good about ourselves and secure about ourselves. When we do something and people tell us how great we are at it, and maybe that was happening for Moses. Maybe, oh, Moses, you're so smart. Wow, you really do speak for God. You're amazing, Moses. And that felt good to him. Uh, And I imagine even after he put this other system into place, there were probably plenty of people saying things like, Well, yeah, okay, this lower judge, that's what he says. But, you know, it doesn't really count until we hear what Moses has to say about it. So we're going to appeal to the Supreme Court of Moses. And that can really feed egos. And people tend to, like, this is why they work too hard. Because it's like they're getting their worth and value from their work. And so that just leads to a cycle of doing more work and more performance because that's when you get that's where you get affirmation. So that's certainly one of the reasons why we take on too much and are too busy and do too much work. Other reasons are we like control. Maybe Moses liked just being the one who made all the decisions because then he had a whole lot of control over what was going on. And that's a big factor for many of us in in the busyness of our lives. Or we're over-responsible. In other words, we're codependent. And I've done a whole podcast or two about what codependency is, so I'm not going to repeat that. But just this idea of uh, I'm responsible for everybody else. I'm responsible to make sure everybody else is okay. And so that leads to a life of exhaustion and no margin And because... You're taken on responsibility that you were never meant to take on. So all these things lead to these lives of busyness and exhaustion, wrong beliefs about where our worth and value come from or what God is really calling us to do. Uh, and an and inability to say no or to have boundaries. And I think that's what was happening with Moses. He I mean, we know he was very humble, so I don't think it was probably about his ego. But it was probably just a genuine misunderstanding of of his role and a belief that he was the only one. If he didn't do it, who was going to do it? So the real wisdom from Jethro was, look, you're not the only one. There are always other people, good people that God is is working through too. Um, No leader, no person in uh, levels of authority, whether it's in church or business, nobody's meant to do it alone. Nobody's supposed to do it alone. That's too much. So Moses learns this lesson and he's teachable. He lets his father-in-law talk to him and he hears him and he makes changes because he recognizes this is not a sustainable life. So um, as we seek to think about this in our own lives and to think about, to be willing to think about why we're so busy, why we fill our lives with so much and what to do about it, um, I think we have to be willing to really look hard at why. Um, Why do we um, let ourselves be so busy? Henry Nouwen said uh, in one of his books, the strange thing, however, it is, is that it is very hard not to be busy. Being busy has become a status symbol. People expect us to be busy and to have many things on our minds. Often our friends reaffirm the general assumption that it is good to be busy. Being busy and being important often seem to mean the same thing. So just in casual conversation, how often do we say that? How often do you hear people say, "Oh man, I'm just so busy." Or um, people will say to me, "I know you're so busy," and I know you. And just I hear that, and part of it, there's a reaction in me that that is similar to what Henry Nouns talked about. It's like, yeah, uh, I got to make sure they think I'm busy because that means I'm important, or that. There is that, there is that thought, but I want to fight against that. And and therefore I want to be careful to be honest and not convey that I'm busier than I really am. Uh, not to do the impression management of, oh man, yeah, I'm just so busy. So many people want to talk to me. <laughs> kind of similar to the Moses thing. And that's that's a discipline and a choice that that I need to make because being busy is just a badge of honor and importance in our culture and we have to fight against that mentality. Now the real answer to this that God has given us is something that he told the Israelites um, just a few weeks or months after this story takes place and when he gave them what we call the Ten Commandments. Uh, the fourth commandment was this. It was to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, and then there was to be a day of rest, a day set aside that was free from work, that was free from being productive, that was free from um, the the necessity to do work, and God gave them a lot of Uh, wisdom about how to do that. And they were all to do it together, which I'll come back to in a second. And that's an important point. Sabbath was meant and is still meant to be the antidote to lives of exhaustion and overwork. Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. And I, I saw, I was reading a blog by a guy named Jonathan Stormant, and he, make, he, he quotes Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was once asked if he had to describe Jesus in one word, what would it be? And he said, relaxed. Now that just struck me because that is not the first word that would come into most people's minds to describe Jesus, uh, which might be why so many people struggle to relax. But what an interesting thought, that if we would have encountered Jesus, he would not have seemed rushed. He would not have seemed exhausted from overwork. He would have seemed uh, very present and, and not too tired to really listen and be present with people. That's a struggle in our way of life, and we need to learn from that. 37% of Americans take fewer than seven days of vacation a year. In fact, only 14% take vacations that last longer than two weeks. Americans take the shortest paid vacations of anyone in the world. And 20% of those who do often spend their vacations staying in touch with their jobs through their computers or phones. We're exhausted, we're overworked, we're always busy, always distracted from the life that is actually right in front of us, the life we were meant to live. And it's a problem in our world and in our Christian communities that is so pervasive and toxic. That's why this matters so much. That we learn to stop, rest, take margin, uh, create margin. Um, There's a great book by a guy named A.J. Swoboda uh, called Subversive Sabbath that um, I've just read a little bit of, but but I like a lot. Because he addresses a lot of things um, indirectly um, that are going on, the advent of social media, for instance, or climate change, or the income inequality. And he doesn't address those things directly but he just talks about the need that we all have to build into our lives rhythms of rest and how by keeping the Sabbath, we actually address all those other things or more. And he, uh, uh, he's a pastor. And so when he wrote, um, I, I read this, it really struck me. He said, um, he tells a story about when he realized how bad churches were at this. So he says, some years ago, I was in a meeting with our church's financial board. Sitting there, it dawned on me that were I to cheat on my wife, I would lose my job. If I stole from the church, I'd be run out of town. If I lied about the church finances, I would be in huge trouble. If I worshipped another god, I'd be removed. There are nine commandments that if I chose to break, I might lose my ministry over that. But if I did not keep a Sabbath, I'd probably get a raise. And I think he's right. And I think that's been uh, my experience uh, working in, in churches. And it's not like churches are intentionally trying to disregard the kind of life God is calling us into. But we haven't paid attention to the central importance of rest and Sabbath, the importance of that to the way of life that God's inviting us to experience, the way way of life we were created for. Modern Western culture just has this bizarre relationship to time, and we worship time more than we want to admit. And that's one of the reasons why keeping the Sabbath is actually hostile to most of American Christianity. We think we can make time or kill time, but time is the one thing we have no control over. We can't buy more of it or hoard it. Time belongs to God and God alone. And I think this is why Jesus could be described as relaxed. He was never rushed. He never saw people's interruptions. He wasn't a rigid legalist about how he kept the Sabbath, but he certainly did keep it. He he often would withdraw from the crowds and went off to a solitary place. Even in the middle of what we would call emergencies, Jesus wasn't hurried. And, And our frantic busyness is a pretty good indicator on the dashboard of how well we are allowing the gospel to really penetrate into our lives and hearts, or not. So figuring out for my life, for your life, how do I rest? How do do I build into my life a regular rhythm of Sabbath? doesn't have to be on Sunday, doesn't have to be the Jewish Sabbath from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, but some rhythm of life that, as an act of faith, as an act of believing that I don't have to work every single moment. I can can free myself from, from work in order to be, present with God in order to refill my tank in order to connect with friends and people to do the kind of things that restore my soul that is a non-negotiable to the way of life we were called to live I know that might sound impossible for some people in a stage of life especially where they have young children where they have infants where it feels like the, the requirements of parenting and caring for others uh, simply don't allow for uh, a Sabbath or um, a day off. And I get that, and I think God gives a, an extra measure of grace, but I also encourage all of us, whatever our stage of life, to take this very seriously and get creative and, and call on community. The real casualty of, of over busyness is community i read an article in the new york times not too long ago um, called you don't need more free time by a sociologist and this sociologist had surveyed over half a million people about how they use their time and the result was surprising the problem in in uh, the author's words is not that we don't have enough free time she wrote "It, it it's that our free time in order to be satisfying often must align with that of our friends and loved ones. We face a problem, in other words, of coordination. Work-life balance is not something that you can solve on your own. Uh, And so the discovery was that people's happiness was closely correlated between not just time away from work and expectations to be productive, but between being able to be around other people who were also enjoying free time. This is the real reason we enjoy the weekend so much because we're able to share free time with other people. And the article went on to say the problem we're facing cannot be solved by workplace solutions but could be improved if we all had some shared sense of time and rhythm to our lives. And this is the New York Times. This isn't some Christian or religious magazine arguing for for sabbath or higher church attendance just recognizing what god has told us we need community we need to order our lives around rest connecting with god connecting with our own souls and connecting with other people that's the life that is the good life that is the abundant life and Until we take that more seriously and become much more countercultural in in our American way of life and our American way of following Jesus, there's always going to be something missing. You don't have to have lives that are characterized by being way too busy. That's a choice. If that's what you feel like is true in your life, take some time to reflect on why. And find somebody to talk to if it will help to just sort that out. Jesus called us to a life of rest. He said at the end of Matthew 18, Come to me, and I, and what he didn't say was, Come to me, and I will give you more to do because you're slacking here. <laughs> no, he said, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Walk with me. Take my yoke. I'm I'm going to walk beside you, and you will find rest for your souls. Who doesn't want that? So there's a way of life. Um, It's not just an issue, by the way, with our modern culture. I mean, Moses lived 3,000 plus years ago. It's a human tendency to, to fill our lives with too much, and God said, There's a rhythm of life that um, will help remind you of what's really important, will help restore you physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. uh, Live that rhythm of life. I need to get better at it. I need to get better at doing it in community with others. The times when that's been most consistent in my life, in my family's life have been. The times when that was... um, really powerful and good so remember that god is for you god is with you and god calls us to a way of life that is possible and it is so so good may the lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace uh, if this is helpful to you leave us a review on itunes and support or sparrow. we're trying to help people find life Thanks.